0: Let's let's get into it. Now, today we're at verses 35 through 39. So, verse 35, very early in the morning. Now, this is day two in Capernaum. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Notice, he gets off to this solitary place, not to like, Empty his mind of all things and like nirvana and everything just was hunky dory. He gets off to this solitary place to pray to his father. This is an astonishing thing. All of these demands on him, he gets up early in the morning and gets away. Matthew Henry writes, though, as God he was prayed to, as man he prayed. For thousands and thousands of years, the second person of the Godhead Jesus is receiving prayers. But in His incarnational ministry here at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, He is now going and getting alone to pray with the Father. And one of the reasons this is recorded in Mark's Gospel is for you and I to see how important it is for you and I to get alone with God. As it were, to follow His example. Now, it's... It's amazing. I didn't, I didn't know this till this week. Uh, some of you can search the Scriptures this week to, to confirm that what I'm saying is true and right here, and you should do that. But there are only three times in Mark's Gospel that Jesus prays. And this is one of them. And he's alone. The second one is in Mark chapter 6. Just look at the sc- on the screen uh, at it with me. He has just fed the 5,000. And immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to Bethsaida while He dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, He went up on a mountainside to pray. So the first time He prays in Mark 1, He gets alone. The second time He prays in Mark 6, He gets alone. Again, at a critical point in His ministry. And then the third time that he prays, the one that we're most familiar with, on the screen, Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. The cross is right in front of him. We're at the very end of the gospel now. Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. He is thinking not only of the pain of crucifixion, but the sins of the world, your sins and my sins being placed upon him. He is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, going a little farther, he fell to the ground prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him abba father he said everything is possible for you take this cup from me yet not what i will but you will but what you will my point in going here again is showing notice that this procedure here he's getting alone with god stay here and keep watch he goes a little further he does what it takes to get alone and be alone with his father God is calling you and me to engage in private prayer to get alone with our Father in heaven. It is it is shouting out to us in this passage and throughout the gospel in these three these three times of prayer for Jesus. Come back to verse 36. So he's he's gone off, he's praying. We don't have the details of the previous night, but I think the text would imply it was a late night. And he has cast out demons and he's healed many. And now verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Meaning, you're not where we want you to be. The, the crowd is coming again. There is more for you to do right here, right now. They are not thinking from the Father's perspective, the disciples'. It's very understandable we'd be right along with them, but they, they don't get it. What, what, why, have you, why have you gone? Why, why? Everyone's looking for you. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee to all those towns and villages around the Sea of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out Demons. Jesus, after spending time with His Father, recognizes that God is calling Him to something above and beyond what is right in front of Him. And He has to have compassion and do ministry in lots and lots of places. Now we know His, his ministry ultimately is to die on the cross and to be raised again, but here His ministry is to preach in all those neighboring villages. Look back at verse 14. Mark 1 and, and 14. Or 15. uh, Proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This This is Jesus' mission right now. His mission is to travel around Galilee and to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that he has come. That Advent is here. The Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so... Church, we see here that He is calling us to follow His example. To follow His example. This is, this is one of four reasons I have for us today about why we need to get alone with God. It is very clear from Mark's Gospel that Jesus is our example in spending time to get alone. And it's something that is hugely important for us spiritually. And as we do it, we are to engage in private prayer. So it's not just getting alone and emptying our mind, or something like this, but we are to engage in private prayer. We are to go off into solitary places, whether that's just a few steps away, or whether it's a mountainside, a mountaintop, and we are to engage in prayer with our Father. Now some of us, um, some of us don't like to be alone. Some of us, we like like to be with people all the time. Uh, Some of us to such a degree that if we're alone, stuff starts to happen, right? Get kind of nervous. Uh, the TV comes on, the radio comes on, the phone's coming out constantly. I mean, we're all kind of like that, aren't we? Is it crazy, the phone thing we have going on? Like, just, our family gets together, my wife's big extended family. You know, years ago it wasn't like this, now it's just everybody's just, you know, you got to have a Sabbath from, from this. But we have tendencies... Some of us have a tendency to be with others. On the other extreme, some of us have tendencies to be alone. Some of us, our uh, are, are happy times are when we don't see anybody. We're, we're, we're loners. We like to be alone. And we have to understand who we are as we hear a message like this and, and what we need. There can be dangers on both sides of, of that spectrum. And, and as God's people, we desperately need fellowship with one another. But we also need to be alone with our Father in heaven. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, about this tension, he writes this. He says, let him who cannot be alone, beware of community. Let him who is not in community, beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So we need to engage in private prayer, but we need to know ourselves and we need to know uh, what, what, what our tendencies are. And particularly those of us who have a tendency to always be around people, we need to make those efforts to separate ourselves, to take those few extra steps. Peter, James, and John, stay here. I, I need to go be alone with my Father. Some of us really need to learn this Discipline. Jesus finds a solitary place to pray, and we should too. Again, J.C. Ryle writes this. He says, It is useless to say you have no convenient place to pray in. Any man can find a place private enough if he is disposed. Our Lord prayed on a mountain, Peter on the housetop, Isaac in the field, Nathaniel under the fig tree, Jonah in the whale's belly. Any place may become a closet, an oratory, and a Bethel, and be to us the presence of God. I think that's his attempted at humor. It's about as uh, humorous as a British preacher from another era gets. But his point is, his point is we need to find a place, and it doesn't really matter what that place is, to be alone with the Lord. This is something that God has been teaching me in recent years. Uh, beautiful things can happen when we get alone with God, and what he 's been teaching me is the importance as, as, as someone who became a believer in one thousand nine hundred and eighty seven if, if I were to chart it uh, you know the, the the chart of how important it was as a, as a senior in high school coming to know the lord spending time alone with my father was very low uh, on my both execution of it and my priority of it and as the years go by. And as God has grown me by his grace and shown me uh, how important it is to spend time alone with him, even in preparing a sermon. If I went back uh, to when I was uh, first ministering, I spent lots of time studying, instead, lots of time preparing, not as much time alone with my father. And by his grace, I'm not trying to be proudful here, I'm just telling you my own story. I'm not trying to be full of pride. The Lord has has shown me the importance of being alone with Him before messages to hear from Him. Not just before messages, but for my own life to get alone. I like uh, getting out in the woods for anything, including cutting up firewood. And one of the reasons I like to get out in the forest and cut up firewoods in the wintertime, I spend time alone with God. The day begins by starting that fire and spending a time alone with Him in that room. In the summertime, I'm out on my deck like this morning. We've got some baby squirrels that are a little distracting, making lots of noises, running around uh, right now, uh, peeling stuff off of the trees. But aside from that, I'm just out there early, alone on my deck uh, with the Lord. And it's not just at times set aside like that. I spend a lot of time on my mountain bike, as you know. It kind of finds its way into almost every sermon. And so this week, as I've been meditating, praying over this passage in this sermon. I have uh, headphones in when I'm climbing and I often listen to sermons or listen to music. This week I had my headphones in, but I just left them off. And I just spent time alone as I'm climbing, spending time with God. So I'm praying that the Lord would be growing each of us and understanding the importance of getting alone with Him and spending time with Him one man who uh, shares a story about a particular day where he spent time alone with God, one of my heroes, uh, Jonathan Edwards. And I have to just read the title of this book, okay? Titles were like a whole different thing back in the day. Listen to the title. A Faithful Narrative of the Surprising Work of God in the Conversion of Many Hundred Souls in Northampton and the Neighboring Towns and Villages of New Hampshire in New England in a Letter to the Reverend Dr. Benjamin Coleman, of Boston, written by the Reverend Mr. Edwards, minister of Northampton on November 6, 1736. Okay, you got that title? So just a a summary for those of you that aren't familiar with this. This is one of these great awakenings. And Edwards writes a letter to a pastor in Boston telling him about what God is doing, these amazing things. Hundreds and hundreds of people are going from just like normal worldly people to like weeping and... Full of laughter and, and intense longings for Jesus. And it's just, this, and so he's writing reports of what has happened. And he says, This has also happened to me. This awakening, this revival has happened to me. So let me just read to you about one day where he's, he's alone. He says, Once as I, as I rid, we would say, rode out into the woods for my health in the year 1737. And having lit from my horse, having parked my car, as it were, in a retired place, as my manner commonly has been to walk for divine contemplation and prayer, I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and His wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared to me so calm and sweet appeared great above the heavens, the person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued, as near as I can judge, about an hour, which kept me, the bigger part of the time, in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. He's out in the woods, weeping. He's alone with his Father, and the love of Christ is just overwhelming him. He goes on, I felt with all an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express than to be emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust and to be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust in him, to live upon him, to serve and follow him and to be totally wrapped up in the fullness of Christ and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. All right, I've never written anything like that and I've never wept for an hour like that but i have spent time alone with the lord and tasted and seen that he's good anyone else anyone else I'm thankful for what he did there i'm praying that there would be an awakening here in my life in your life and part of it is getting alone with god so a third reason we need to get alone with god we're following his example as we do it, we're engaging in private prayer, and we need to reorient ourselves to the mission. Now, I've already kind of hit on this a little bit as it comes to Jesus. His ultimate mission is to die on the cross and to, be, and to be raised on the third day and to ascend to the right hand of the Father. But right now, his mission is to spread the gospel, the good news, to this area that he's in, not just in Capernaum. And so part of what's happening as he's getting alone with his Father is he is reoriented to the mission that he has. And if Jesus spends time alone in order to be on mission, how much more do you and I need to spend time alone with God in order to be on mission? So I have to remind us of what our mission is. So our mission was given to us right before Jesus ascended, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission is to make disciples, church. We might forget that. We think our job or our schoolwork or whatever. Those things are important. But the ultimate mission. The mission that Jesus has given to you and to me and to every Christian is to make disciples. To share the gospel with the lost. To grow up those who are in Christ. To invest in people. And so, to the degree that we're not on mission, there might be a correlation to that and the, to the degree with which we spend time alone with God, getting reoriented to our mission. Final, uh, final point, a few more things to say, but final, final thing here, a reason to get alone with God, is to discern and diminish competing voices. Now the competing voices for Jesus here were were good voices. These are voices that just want Him to bring healing. The people of Capernaum want Him to stay right there. His disciples, where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. But for us, we have all kinds of competing voices that call us in all kinds of directions in life. And in order to turn down the volume on those voices, to discern what God's will is for us, we need to get alone with our Father in Heaven. The enemy is one of the voices that that speaks so loudly. The world speaks as well. But one of the voices the enemy would say to you and me is that we don't need to waste our time alone with God in prayer and in His Word. We don't need to do that. We need to be productive. We need to get things done. God's Word has a very different message for us. So, in, in closing, here I want to mention a few things, a few voices that we might be hearing that we need to get alone with God to discern and diminish, so that we can hear from our Father and and be on mission. So one of the voices we may hear is the voice uh, that we need to accumulate lots of wealth. That it's all about success. It's all about achievement. It's about getting to this place one of the ways we can diminish that voice is by allowing the Word of God to speak to us and getting alone with our Father. Look at First Timothy 6 here. But godliness actually is means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Some of us need to get alone with God and, and just hear that with food and covering. With these we shall be content. I preach that verse to myself all the time. I need to preach that verse to myself. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. So we get alone with God to diminish the voices of the world and to hear from him and to hear from his word. A second voice, we might hear the voice accumulate wealth that we need to diminish. We, we also might hear the voice that we need to accumulate relational peace. Accumulate relational peace. Now what I'm not saying here is uh, if we sin against one another, we obviously need to do all that we can to be reconciled. Okay? We need to do whatever it takes. Uh, Romans tells us that, to be at peace with all men so far as it's dependent upon you. But what I'm saying is is that if we're actually on mission, if we're actually calling people to Jesus, there's going to be opposition to that. There's going to be discord. There's going to be people that don't respond to the message of repent and believe in Jesus. You ever encountered people like that? Have you, church? We should be. And so, so one of the voices we may need to turn down is that we can't have any conflict or relational discord in our lives the reality is to the degree that we're on mission we're going to have opposition to the gospel mark chapter 10 jesus says whoever acknowledges me before men i will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven but whoever disowns me before men i will disown him before my father in heaven Do not not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Some of you know this very well. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To hear things like this, we've got to get alone with God and we have to have the Word of God speaking into our hearts and minds. The reality is, is if you and I are on mission, there's going to be people that are opposed to that mission and there's going to be conflict. A third thing that we may need to turn down, accumulate wealth, accumulate relational peace, accumulating knowledge. This is a voice we may need to turn down, especially in churches where we value and we rightly value teaching and preaching and studying the Word of God. But knowledge sometimes can get in the way and we need to turn that down of our mission. This is what's going on First Corinthians chapter 8. We, we were here as a church some months ago Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, quote-unquote, this this knowledge that the Corinthian church is talking about puffs up, but loves builds up. Just to refresh you, what was going on here on the ground back in uh, Corinth is uh, folks were going down to uh, the Rayleigh's of the day. And some of the meat has been sacrificed to idols. We called it tri-tip sacrifice to Zeus. And some of the folks are saying, we have knowledge. Those idols, those gods don't really exist. So we are free in Christ to go down there and buy that meat and eat it. We're free. And they were right in one sense, but they're totally wrong in another sense because the weaker brothers are stumbling as they're doing this and they're not showing love. And so, perhaps... One of the ways that we're able to see that our knowledge that gives us freedom is not as important as loving those around us. What's going to help us get on mission, church, I think is if you and I spend time alone with our Father and hear from Him. And hear from His Word. Pretty clear point this morning, what He's calling us to. Are you with me, church? We're just about done. Just about done here. Um, The Lord has really put this on my heart. And I'm praying this week, that uh, this, week, this month, this coming year, that many of you will go those extra steps to find time to be alone with your Father. Let me close with these words from J.C. Ryle. He writes this. He says, What is the reason that some believers are so much brighter and holier than others? I believe the difference in 19 cases out of 20 arises from different habits about private prayer. I believe that those who are not eminently holy pray little, and those who are eminently holy pray much. Fancy word for, you know, we we, we all see people that are just like, man, that guy's so godly. I want to be like that guy. He's using the phrase eminently holy for, that guy's so godly. That's how I might say it. He says, I dare say this opinion will startle some readers. I have little doubt that many look on eminent holiness as a kind of special gift which none but a few pretend to aim at. They admire it at a distance in books. They think it beautiful when they see an example near themselves. But as to its being a thing within the reach of any but a very few, such a notion never seems to enter their minds. In short, they consider it a kind of monopoly granted to a few favored believers, but certainly not to all. I I can relate to this. Can you relate to what he's saying? Some people are just really, really holy, but I'm not one of them. He changes course here. Now, I believe that it is a most dangerous mistake to think that way. I believe that spiritual as well as natural greatness depends in a high degree on the faithful use of means within everybody's reach. He's talking especially here by means he means private Prayer. Of course, I do not say we have a right to expect a miraculous grant of intellectual gifts. But this I do say, that when a man is once converted to God, his progress in holiness will be much in accordance with his own diligence in the use of God's appointed means. And I assert confidently that the principal means by which most believers have become great in the church of Christ is the habit of diligent private prayer. This is what God is calling us to, church. And let's bow our heads right now and ask him to help us to seek him. Father in heaven, we want to confess to you again that many of us, were good at praying in groups. We're good at praying in our families. We're good at praying around tables before meals. But we often lack the discipline to get alone with you. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would leave not feeling miserable, but feeling and knowing that your grace is there, not just for a select few, but for anyone to get alone with you and to grow in love and holiness, to weep or to laugh or to be just completely filled with the joy of the Lord because we have spent time with you. Lord, might that be the testimony of us increasingly. We thank you for the word. We thank you for our model Jesus, and we thank you for his grace that is sufficient to help us to become all that he would have us become. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Emma and David, come and lead us. Let's unite our voices again.